0: Well, thank you, uh, worship team, and thank you, Jeanette, for that prayer. Uh, At the beginning of the uh, coronavirus, way back uh, in mid-March, I remember thinking that uh, the prayer that was in my heart that God placed there was that out of this uh, difficult situation, we as a a people, me as an individual, even we as a nation, would experience um, reformation. We would experience revival we would experience renewal. That's still my prayer for our church and for our community and for our whole world. Uh, I'd like to invite you, if you will, to pray with me, uh, if you feel comfortable extending your hands just as a sign of receptivity to the word today. And so, Father, here we are, um, your people, uh, worshiping mostly from our homes all over the country. And, Father, for this one community of faith uh, that we call Grace Community Church, my prayer is that uh, you would uh, speak to us through uh, the prophet Jeremiah. My prayer is that you would uh, not only speak truth to us, but that you would bring a transforming power into our lives. That's what's needed today. So, Father, I just thank you for this opportunity to open your word, and I pray that your spirit would move among us now. And I pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, the first six chapters of Jeremiah, uh, the Lord is speaking to the prophet, and he's telling him all the things that he wants Jeremiah to say to the Israelites. And then starting in chapter 7, Jeremiah speaks to the nation of Israel. They're all gathered around him, and he speaks to them. And... uh, He speaks, uh, this is actually a sermon that he gives, and the sermon lasts for 20 chapters. Okay, so the next time you complain about the length of my sermons, forget it. You know, this is 20 chapters, and here is the essence of what he says, chapter 7, verses 3 and 4. This is what the Lord Almighty says, reform your ways and your actions. And I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Reformation. When you think of Reformation, at least if you're like me, you're drawn to the knowledge of what happened in the 16th century in the United States. Now, Martin Luther was born into a world where the Holy Roman Empire basically religiously ruled all of Europe and uh, all of the surrounding areas. But there was something wrong. There was this uh, love-hate relationship that the people had with the church. Love because, well, they were speaking of God. And apparently they were speaking for God. And so the people really loved their church, but at the same time they hated what was expected of them. This constantly demanding more and more. Emphasized by one priest by the name of Tetzel, who was going around selling indulgences. What that was is um, he was telling people, now remember these are farmers and smithies and people that are uneducated in Germany and other parts of Europe. And when a priest who was educated and a godly person supposedly would come to you and say, if you want your mom and dad out of purgatory and into heaven... You need to give me some so that I can build more and bigger cathedrals for the Pope. So this was going on, and into this um, wild kind of religious atmosphere came a young monk by the name of Martin Luther. In the fall of 1513, at the University of Wittenberg, a young priest by the name of Martin Luther, who was a doctor of theology, was lecturing a, a classroom of young priests. And as he was, he was speaking from the book of Romans, chapter one, verse 17. And even as Martin Luther spoke these words, um, there was something stirring inside of him. And what he said was this to his class: The Bible says, the just shall live by faith. Even as he said those words, inside of him, something another voice was being spoken. But all these years, Martin Luther, you've been told that the just shall live by works. The just shall live by what you do or accomplish. The just shall live by those who obey the church. The just shall live by doing exactly what you're told and nothing more. And yet, what the Bible said was that the just shall live by faith. Well, out of this verse and a lot of other scriptures that he examined himself, this was the seeds of this Protestant Reformation that literally changed our world. He was stirred and transformed in faith and in his heart, and he became the champion of Reformation throughout Europe. And the cries that were heard during the Protestant Reformation were these, all in Latin, Sole Fide, Sole Gratia, Sole Biblia, Sole Christa, faith alone, grace alone, Bible alone, Christ alone. Then in January 1st, 1519, about five years later, something shocking happened in a church in Zurich, Switzerland. The church was named Great Minster Church. Ulrich Zwingli caused a great commotion when he began preaching from from all, from believe it or not, all things, out of Matthew chapter 1. Systematically, he preached and read through the New Testament and then the Old Testament. Men, women, and children came from all over Zurich to hear this man preaching directly from the Bible. Now, this was a relatively new thing. I'll tell you why. In 1440, Gutenberg invented the printing press. And because of that, uh, more copies of the scriptures were available. Before that, no copies were available except to uh, wealthy people and priests. Now the scriptures are being more available to the common people, and this is really one of the things that fueled the Protestant Reformation. And this was an incredible beginning. To this day, over the portal of the church, the Great Minster Church in Zurich, there is a a sign that reads the reformation of Huldrych Zwingli began here January 1 1519. And so with John Calvin in France, John Knox in Scotland, the reading, preaching, understanding and most importantly the living out of God's word changed the world. The Protestant reformation now out of that we get of course Methodists, Baptists, Presbyterians, Lutherans, the Evangelical Covenant Church, and many, many other denominations. And the difference between the Roman Catholic Church to this day and Protestant churches is really basically who is your authority? For the Roman Catholic Church, the authority is three things the Pope, tradition, and the Bible. Martin Luther changed that dramatically when he said the only rule and authority in our lives is what? You guessed it, the Bible, and the Bible alone. 2,200 years before Luther, Zwingli, Calvin, and Knox, there lived another reformer named Jeremiah. If that great prophet were alive today, as he was in that pagan times, he would do what the Protestant Reformation did. He would preach and teach and live the word of God. Jeremiah 7 contains one of the greatest Reformation sermons ever written. And as I mentioned before, that sermon continued for 20 chapters. And it was not a popular message. Let's look at why. Before Jeremiah was born, uh, a generation before he was born, uh, the king of Israel was Manasseh. And he was the worst king the Hebrews had ever Ever experienced. He was an evil man presiding over a corrupt government and he reigned in Jerusalem for 55 years. Now he encouraged pagan worship that involved communities and sexual orgies. He installed cult prostitutes at shrines throughout the countryside. He imported wizards and sorcerers from Babylonia to enslave people with their magic. His capacity for inventing new forms of evil seemed endless. One day he's placed his son on the altar in some black ritual of witchcraft and burned him alive as an offering. This is recorded in 2 Kings chapter 21. This is what 2 Kings 21.9 says. Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than the nations had done, whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. Jeremiah was born into the last decade of Manasseh's rule. This is the world in which Jeremiah learned to walk and talk and play. It was a dark world because God's people had altogether forgotten God. Last week, we talked about another crossroads that the Israelites were at, and that was 600 years before Jeremiah, was Joshua. He led the children of Israel over into the promised land, and he came to a place in his life where he knew Israel had to make a decision. Which God are you going to choose? Joshua said, Choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This was the place that Jeremiah brought the Israelites to. Here's your opportunity, here's your crossroads to make a difference. Then Manasseh died. His son Ammon succeeded him. Things didn't change. He was just as evil. The evil continued. But the people were fed up. Ammon was murdered, and his eight year old son, Josiah, was put on the throne. A king at age eight. Now begins one of the most remarkable chapters in the history of God's people. Somehow, in this boy king was an innocence, uh, an uncorrupt spirit. A heart for God that God was able to use to bring reformation to the land of Israel. Years later, a priest by the name of Hilkiah uncovered an old book buried in the rubble of the flattened temple. It was the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Along with some writings of David and Solomon. God's word at that time. The book was brought to Josiah, now a teenager. And he read it aloud before all the people of Israel. Listen to this. Reformation always begins with the word of God. Always. This is what what it says in 2 Chronicles 34, 29 to 31. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the men of Judah the people of Jerusalem the priests and the levites all the people from the least to the greatest he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been which had been found in the temple of the lord the king stood by his pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, regulations, and decrees with all his heart and all his soul and to obey the words of the covenant written in the book. Reformation for Jeremiah began at the reading, believing, hearing, and living out the word of God. So Josiah went to work. Reform was accomplished in just a few years. Everything that a king's command could do was done. Conspicuous crime, gone. Witchcraft, gone. Immoral worship, all gone. The problem was getting rid of evil does not make people good. Getting rid of sin does not make people righteous. A good example of that is what happened back in the 1930s in the Midwest, Uh, Two men, one by the name of Bill W., the other Bob S., um, decided that uh, their alcoholism was out of control. They started meeting together and they had a support group and they were starting to feel some help around that, but they knew they couldn't do it on their own. So they asked for the help of a friend who was a pastor and in their reading and their studying and putting together the materials of the 12 steps and all that, it was all ordained and filtered through the Bible, the Word of God. As you know, you can go to AA or GA or NA or any other group, and you can stop drinking. Stopping drinking is not the issue. It's a changed heart. It's a transformed life. And so that's why we see AA or other of these ministries, they're always done through the filter of God. Now, they call it a higher being, but through God, it's always about that because it's not about just stopping the behavior. It's about having a changed heart. That's what Jeremiah experienced in front of the Israelites. It didn't take Jeremiah long to realize that Reformation was only skin deep. And so Jeremiah stands before the people to preach to the temple, uh, preach this temple sermon. But everything on the outside seemed really good. Now this is after the Reformation. The temple was rebuilt. It was beautiful. People were flocking to the temple on the Sabbath. They're saying, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. It's so beautiful. It was like a mega church today. Oh, our, our beauty is so beautiful. Our children's ministry is like Disneyland. Everything is great. Everything is great. Everything is great. But there was something wrong, something deeply wrong. The people's lives had not been transformed. All was not well. Judah was at another crossroads and for the next 20 chapters Jeremiah tells them what the Lord had told him ending in Jeremiah chapter 26 verses 8 and 9 and 11 here's what the word says as soon as Jeremiah finished teaching telling all the people everything the Lord had commanded him to say this is what the Lord told him to say the priests, the prophets and all the people seized him quote, you must die Why do you prophesy in the Lord's name that this house will be like Shiloh and this city will be desolate and deserted? Let me pause there. Um, Don't do this to me after the sermon, okay? Don't shoot the messenger. That's what they wanted to do. They wanted to shoot the messenger. Listen. Then the priests and the prophets said to the officials and all the people, this man should be sentenced to death because he has prophesied against this city. You have heard it with your own ears. The religious establishment, the ones who said, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the religious establishment wants to kill Jeremiah. This happens to all reformers. Martin Luther uh, the Pope was really after him. I mean, they tried to kill him in every which way. In fact, the Pope called Martin Luther a wild boar, a serpent, and a pestiferous virus. Now, we've ran into a pestiferous virus in the coronavirus, haven't we? But that's what the Pope called Martin Luther because he was taking some of the juice, some of the power, away from the Holy Roman Empire. But what is so pestiferous about Jeremiah's message? Well, the content of the temple sermon can be summarized two points. The first point is religious observance cannot save you. Religious observance cannot save. And the second point was this. Only a relationship with God manifested in obedience pleases God. John Calvin put it this way. Sacrifices are of no importance or value before God unless those who offer them wholly devote themselves to God with a sincere heart. It's about the heart. It's not about religious observance. And what was Jeremiah saying? Do not trust in these deceptive words. People have all kinds of religious slogans, all kinds of religious words. The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Oh, God bless this person. God bless that person. Even God bless America. Sometimes it really bothers me. After 9-11, every president ends every speech with the same thing. It has become tired and worn, and nobody knows what it means. God bless America. You know what? I'm not sure God wants to bless America. In fact, what we should say is America, bless God. America, you start paying attention to God. America, you start loving and living the way God wants you to love and live. That's what we should be doing. But these people were religious. They stood in their holy place. They spoke the modern God talk. Everyone looked good. They were in the right place and they said the right words, but their hearts were not right. In the crisis we're facing today, how many of us can say that? Our hearts are right around this subject of racism. Our hearts are right around how we're facing all of this conflict and pain and this anger and the rioting. Are our hearts right around that? They were not right in Jeremiah's day. The reform was necessary, but it was not enough. Religion was reduced to places or words or activities. We have, how many times have we said, all through America, that the church is not the building? Well, in those days, and we do the same, we were anxious to get back together, we know that. We're not anxious to get back to the building so much, this is a good building, but we're anxious to get back together. The body of Christ, the ecclesia, the gathering, that's what we were anxious to get back. Religion was just reduced to words. The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. God bless America, do this, do that, amen, praise the Lord. All of these words, but our life, our love, mercy, obedience, relationship with God, justice, are those the things that are really in us? Just when Jeremiah expected the people to launch into a a life of faith and passion with God, he finds them stupidly repeating a religious slogan, Temple of the Lord, Temple of the Lord. How sad. We hear that so many times in our world today. Oh, how come we're not singing my songs? Singing my songs. Singing my songs. How come we're not saying the Lord's Prayer? Saying the Lord's Prayer? Saying the Lord's... All of these slogans, which are all good in their own right, but is your heart right with the Lord? Or is it just some slogan that you say as you enter church? Now, there's a really wonderful example of this in the New Testament. Um... Jesus, uh, this is found in Mark chapter 3, uh, Jesus was uh, invited to speak at the temple, which is a big deal, And uh, but the Jews were, were really trying to corner him, not not all the Jews, but the Pharisees, the religious leaders, were trying to corner him and get him to stumble, so this is the, the Sabbath, they're meeting in the temple, the place is buzzing with excitement, because anytime Jesus spoke, people listened. And and here's what the the Pharisees did. They went out and found a man with a withered hand, you know, with a crippled hand. And he brought him in and he put him in the front row. (laughs) Like, sit him in the front pew. So Jesus has to see this guy, right? They're trying to trick him. And so that's exactly what happened. Listen to uh, what we read in Mark chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Now this... I mean, this poor schmuck was just out walking around, you know, with a shriveled hand. All of a sudden, he's around thousands of people. Everybody's looking at him, and he's thinking, whoa, whoa, what's going on? Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, this is the religious leaders, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. They were reformed, but their hearts weren't changed. They said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Bible says that the Pharisees quickly left the temple and went out to do some of their talking and their planning. Do you see what Jesus was saying here? It's not about religious slogans. It's not about certain commandments or rules and regulations. Jesus changed all of those commandments when he said in John 13 and many other places in the gospel this, you are called to love each other the way God has loved you. The way God has loved you in Christ, love one another. That reflects a changed heart. But no, instead we have our own agenda. We have our own religious ways of saying things. I remember in the church I grew up in, there was a woman by the name of Beatrice Merrifield, long since gone to be with the Lord. And no matter what was said in the church, Beatrice would always do the same thing. She'd always say, Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Okay? Even if it didn't fit. One time Pastor Woodhouse was telling about a man who was just contracted with cancer and people were, were going to pray for him. Amen. Praise the Lord. You know, and, and everybody looks at her. What are you talking about? This was just the temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. It can't be about slogans. It can't be about words. It has to be about a transformation of the heart. That's what Jeremiah is saying. It can't be just reformation. It has to be Transformation. Of the heart. Let me explain to you what that looks like. Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. This is Paul writing. He says, what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus my Lord. Paul said there is nothing that matters more than knowing Jesus, not knowing about him. Knowing Jesus and knowing about the power of his resurrection. For whose sake I have lost all things, Paul writes, I consider them rubbish that that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from slogans and words. Oh, we don't have any racism. Oh, there's nothing wrong in our country. Words that really have no meaning, no change of heart. He said, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness, listen, that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ, Paul writes, and the power of his resurrection. I want to know Christ. I don't want to just say words I don't want to just say everything's okay. I don't want to say that, well, there's no such thing as racism. I'm just going to say praise the Lord or God bless America. I don't want to just say those words. I want my heart to be transformed by Jesus. And that only happens when we experience him as our personal Lord and Savior. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. The supremacy of the greatness of knowing Christ. Reformation is about changing your behavior on the outside. Transformation is what God desires, a change of heart on the inside. Religious observance cannot save. Words have no power if a life is not living a life of humility and, and, and love and care for all people. So the reformation of the city has happened. And now God says, you need transformation. And God says, let's go to a historical field trip. He said, now let's go to a place in Shiloh. Chapter 7, verse 12. What is there to see in Shiloh? Well, not much. It's where the temple used to be. It's where the temple used to be. It's where they kept the Ark of the Covenant before they started treat, treating the Ark of the Covenant like a religious a toy, and they would take it out to the Philistines to hopefully have it uh, into battle to hopefully have uh, be like a lucky charm. But the psalmists wrote these words: They angered God with their high places. They aroused Him with His, his jealousy with their idols. When God heard them, he was very angry. He rejected Israel completely. He abandoned the tabernacle of Shiloh. That's Psalm 78, 58 to 60. He abandoned Shiloh. It's the end of worship. It's gone. What God was saying to the Israelites is what he's saying to you and to me today. Your words have no meaning if your life doesn't have a a life filled with Jesus. I want to know Christ to know him and the power of his resurrection. When you know Christ, you start seeing people with Jesus' eyes. You start seeing people of a different color with the eyes of Jesus. You start seeing people that are angry and furious and just ranting and raving. You start seeing them with the eyes of Jesus. Because all of this gospel that we see always ends up asking the same question of you and of me. What does love require? When I talk to my black friends, what does love require? When I recognize that I have lived my entire life, 71 years, and there's been racism all around that I could see it and I could recognize it, but I did nothing about it, what does love require? What does love require when I'm in a room with people who are making inappropriate jokes or talking about another class of people in a different way? What does love require? Require. I don't want my heart to be abandoned like Shiloh. I want my heart to be filled with Jesus. Shiloh is a place where God no longer exists. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection to know him. I don't want to just know about him, I don't want to just say nice things about God or about my country. I don't just want to say religious slogans, but the love, the peace, the shalom, the mercy, the justice, that Jesus is in me, I want to live out every day of my life. Do you know why I know that God hasn't given up on us yet? I mean, he could have given up on the Israelites. He had all the reasons to divorce them, right? But the reason that God has not given up on the Israelites in that those days, the same way he hasn't given up on Christ's followers today. And it's this in Je- Jeremiah 3.14. Return, faithless people, declares the Lord, for I am your husband. God still wants that intimate relationship as a husband with his bride, the church. He wants us not to seek reformation, but to seek transformation because I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection in my life, in my words, in my daily activities, in my relationship with all people. I want the power of Jesus Christ to lead because I want to ask the question and always answer it truthfully. What does love require of me? Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, um, My prayer is right now that uh, every person listening to this word would not see it as somebody's ideas or thought, but recognize that this is a word from God, a word that says it's just not about changing our habits, changing our ways, even changing our vocabulary. It's about having our hearts transformed by knowing Jesus so deeply and passionately, that it's like a husband-wife relationship—it's so rich with intimacy. And Father, I pray that every listening ear would just have this this time alone with You, and just ask this question so honestly: Lord, what does love require of me? When the greatest commandment You gave that over that supersedes all other commandments is to love God with all your heart and to love your neighbors yourself. When we understand that and when we start living that out, it's going to change our world, not by politics or by proclamations, but by individuals having hearts that have been transformed by God and the way that we treat other people, the way we look at other people, the way that we love other people. Father, give us that ability to love that way. Help us always to remember to ask this question. Lord, what does love require? Of me and I pray that over every heart that is listening over every life that is wondering what can I do you can change not by trying but by the power of Jesus Christ within you what does love require of me I pray this in Jesus name